Good morning. Good morning, church. I'm uh, glad to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, if you are uh, uh, paying attention to our national discourse, man, this this is a troubled time. It is a it is a time of, of upheaval, a time of, of public disagreement and uh, public anger. And it has been uh, grieving to me on a variety of levels. I've even <clears throat> found myself uh, uh, sitting in front of my computer, uh, just having, having difficulty just proceeding with the things that I need to do. But I believe that we have a word from God in the scriptures that is eternal. And I believe that we have a word from God in the scriptures that is applicable to every and any situation. One of the things that I have noticed, not just recently, but over the years, that are involved with disagreements, arguments, anger, is that without context, we understand almost nothing. Without context, we understand almost nothing. Even if you, if you look at an interpersonal disagreement between two parties and you ask them what happened, more often than not, you're going to hear differences and nuance and differences and emphasis from the two parties. It is because a person's context, what has happened, affects how they see today. Without variant pieces of context, we are almost guaranteed to disagree. But when we have accurate and detailed context, we can move forward. This principle of context is vitally important to understand the scriptures. And this principle of context is vitally important to understanding the present day. And so it is my attempt to provide some context from the scriptures and some context from history today to give us encouragement and a reason to hope. The scripture is, is uh, Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 9. Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 9. It says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would Give us a word from heaven, a word that would provide comfort, 
a word that would provide hope, a word that would provide instruction. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, uh, or the, the, when you will be hearing this, it'll be uh, Sunday, uh, Pentecost. It'll be Pentecost Sunday. It is the day that the church has uh, traditionally celebrated what happened on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. That was the day of Pentecost, and some have called it the birthday of the church because it is the day that the Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to fill his church, and his church began to become witnesses to his resurrection with power. The Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church for mission and to display and proclaim the gospel. On this day is the day that the Spirit fell on the first church and that they began to speak God's word in multiple languages and that people from all over the known world at that time were in Jerusalem that day and Peter began to preach about Jesus and people from all around the known world were added to the church on that very day. Now, often when we speak about the coming of the Spirit, and the filling of the Spirit, we usually approach this in individual terms, meaning that the Spirit has filled me. The Spirit has empowered me to do this or that, and that is true. But I think a more primary understanding is that the Spirit is given to empower the church. The Spirit is given to empower the church to witness about Jesus, to proclaim his goodness, and to display the values of his kingdom. That cannot be something that comes just with uh, effort or with a good idea. We actually need supernatural power from heaven. And Jesus has provided that when he poured out his Spirit. And so because of the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost, the day that is celebrated throughout the, the world in the church, that is today, the day of Pentecost, we can expect and pray for the Spirit to empower us. But I kind of want to approach it from a little bit of a different angle today. We should also seek to learn not only that the Spirit empowers us, but how the Spirit has empowered the church throughout this, the last 2,000 years. The same spirit that was given on Pentecost, the same spirit that has been given to us is the same spirit that has been given to Christians around the world for the last 2,000 years. And so it would be important for us to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit has done through his global church these 2,000 years. And that brings us to the verse today. It says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. The author of Hebrews is talking about leaders who have already died. In that congregation, that congregation in that, that the letter, letter of Hebrews is written to was facing persecution and there are leaders who have already died. And he says, look to what the Lord did through them. Look to what they taught. Look at their faith. 
And look what happened after they died. This means that we should look for the Holy Spirit's activity and the leaders that have gone before us. We, we need to remember that leaders who have come before us, and, and, and we need to pay special attention to those that might not be as common to talk about in our modern context for this reason. For this reason. If we only look to present-day leaders, me included, if we only look to present-day leaders, then we will always have present-day bias. Then we will always have the, the, the gaps of knowledge and understanding that exist today. If you ever take time to read books from the past, there will be things that stick out to you as very odd. Why do they say it like that? Why do they believe that way? Why do they do that thing? But at the same time, there will also be things that will stick out to you and you will think that is very helpful. And I wish we thought or did that today. In the same way, if we want to seek to have a well-rounded faith, a well-rounded practice of the faith, then we would look to the leaders of the past at what they taught and what they did. And we would ask that the same spirit that guided them would guide us today. And so I just want to give you two examples of that. I don't want to just tell you to do that. I, I want to give you two examples. The first example of a leader that we can look at from the past that was filled with the spirit and that we can observe the outcome of their faith. is a man by the name of Athanasius. Now, if you know me, you know that Athanasius is one of my favorite uh, people from the past. Athanasius was born in Africa around the year 299 A.D. And he became the bishop or the head pastor of Alexandria at the age of 30. His career is marked by his stand against a teaching that became known as Arianism. And it is the belief that Jesus is not fully God that he's some sort of demigod, that he's like a, like a Hercules, like he's kind of God, but not really. And he stood on this biblical teaching that Jesus is fully God, that as the scriptures say that the fullness of the deity, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus bodily. He is not a sub-God. He is fully God. And for his biblical stances, he was exiled five times from his church for a total of 17 years. For his biblical stance, he was insulted. They often called him the black dwarf, insinuating that his height and his skin color were something to be insulted. That sounds like modern day, does it not? In fact, he was fleeing state-sponsored heresy. See, the teaching that Jesus is fully God was a teaching that at the time of Athanasius' pastorate was being condemned by the emperor. And he had to flee for his life because of his biblical stance. In the end, by the time he died, the church reaffirmed the stance about Jesus being fully God. 
at what is known as the Council of Constantinople after his death. So by his life, it says, observe the outcome, imitate their faith. That he would so value the scriptures and the truth about Jesus that he would endure years of suffering, insults, and slander. Now, what did Athanasius teach? He has books out there, you can read them, but I'll summarize the most important teachings. He cared about the truth that Jesus was clearly proclaimed because he cared that God's love and salvation for humanity would be clearly proclaimed. He proclaimed that Jesus was eternal and that he was fully deity because if he was less than that, his life and death could not save us. Many men have died for their love for others. Though their death was noble, it did not change what would happen to anybody eternally. But when Jesus died, because he was God in the flesh, his death defeated sin. And his resurrection power is at work in his church to produce change. He taught that scripture was the source of his teaching and any good teaching. At the end of his book called On the Incarnation, it's where he defended his beliefs about Jesus. He says, quote, if you take the text of scriptures and genuinely apply your mind to them, you will know from them more completely and more clearly the accuracy of what has been said. For they were written and spoken by God through the theologians, through the apostles, while we pass on to you uh, your, your love of learning what we have learned from the inspired teachers who were conversant with them, who became witnesses to the divinity of Christ. He's saying, listen, listen, if you want to understand the truth about Jesus and the truth about what Jesus has done and the truth about humanity, you have to go to the scriptures. You have to be diligent students of the scriptures. You have to study the scriptures in its context. We are too easily convinced by scriptures ripped from their contents, by teachers who would, who would teach us based on one or two verses and build whole false theologies off of that that would yield to misunderstandings about Jesus and a lack of godliness when Athanasius would say, no, if we are going to base our life on anything, it has to be the truth of what the scriptures teach in their entirety. The next person I want to bring to your attention, a leader that we should look to that has since passed, is a man named Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was born in 1903 in China. He is part of what I would call the indigenization of Christianity in China. So, so China had, uh, had missionaries come and share the gospel, one namely is Hudson, Hudson Taylor, but had missionaries come and share the gospel. But Watchman Nee was an indigenous Chinese man who said, I am going to preach the gospel to my people and make sure that the gospel flourishes among my people. He was a prolific author, teacher, church planner, and religious leader. And in his quest to preach the gospel and plant more churches, he faced suffering from poverty, bad health, denominational oppression, and other Christians who do, did not like him, and finally imprisonment. 
after years of faithful ministry, he was arrested by the Communist Party in China and spent the last 20 years of his life in prison. Now, what did he teach? He taught that the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just for initial salvation, but that the gospel was the shape of the Christian life. We die to the flesh and through suffering, and we are resurrected to holiness and spirit-empowered living. He, he might have been called a, 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 a Christian who valued gospel centrality or one who wanted to be fluent in the gospel. That the good news about Jesus doesn't just get us in to the door of Christianity, but it shapes how we then live. Not only did he want to center on the death and resurrection of Jesus as a means to, to grow in our understanding of holiness and to walk in a way that would please the Lord, he fought for the necessity of indigenous local churches. He said, quote, the Lord revealed to me that he wanted to build up local churches and local and other localities to manifest himself, to bear testimony of the unity on the ground of locality so that each saint might perform his duty in the church and live the church life. God wants not merely individual pursuit of victory or spirituality, but a corporate glorious church presented to himself. Now it says... Observe their life, observe their teaching, and observe the outcome. What was the outcome of Athanasius' life? Because of Athanasius' defense of Christianity, of the Trinity, of the deity of Jesus, the Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and Protestant churches believe the scriptural teachings that our God exists in three persons and that Jesus Christ is fully God. And for that matter, so is the Holy Spirit. He passed on this reliance on the churches. And beloved, almost 1,700 years later, there is a church that still thrives in Egypt called the Coptic Church, which would look to Athanasius as his first, one of his first leaders. What can we learn from the outcome of Watchman Nee? That, that when not, Watchman Nee went to prison, that was the rise and the, the takeover of the Communist Party in China, which meant that communication between Christians in China and Christians out of, outside of China ceased. And for years, nobody knew what happened to the church. But when communication began to open up again, they found that the churches that were planted by Watchman Nee and his co-workers not only thrived in persecution, but they multiplied. That they were founded on a, a biblical gospel and a commitment to endure even in the face of suffering. The crazy thing that really sticks out to me when I look at these Two men who are separated by almost 2,000 years and by, by continents is that they endured for the sake of biblical teaching and biblical practice. They bear fruit, even though they did not get to see all of their fruit. 
In verse 8, the, the, in Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, the Jesus that is displayed in the past is the same Jesus that works in us today. And the same Jesus that gives us hope for the future. So church, we must not grow weary. Remember, Athanasius and Watchmen did, need did not see the fruit of their labor but they believed in one who was eternal, who could yield fruit even after their own death. The same Jesus who led Athanasius and Watchman and Knee and many others by the Spirit is the same one who now fills us with the Spirit to witness to and to display God's goodness. This is what Pentecost is about. The Spirit not only guiding me or you, but the Spirit guiding the church. The teachings of Scripture are confirmed by the church of the past, and understanding them protects us from error or false teaching. Look at verse 9. It says, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be established by grace, not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. What's going on here is that there are people in this church, in the church of, uh, that, that the book of Hebrews is written to, that are coming up with different type of teachings that are doing one of two things. It's either adding to the gospel or subtracting from the gospel. The church, the, the, the Bible, uh, uh, the, the, the teachers of the past have taught that we are saved because of what Jesus has done. Because God sent Jesus, sent Christ to, to live in a human body. And he lived the life we could not have lived. He died the death that we owed. And he rose again to give us salvation. That means it is of grace. We did not do it. We did not work to do it. We did not, not strive to get salvation, but it is a gift of grace. And when anybody would try to subtract or add to what God has done in the gospel, we would already know that does not sound right. So biblical and historical knowledge can save us from false teaching. And I want to give you some examples of that. You'll know of a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses. I know that there are many kind people a part of this group. But their teachings about Jesus are textbook, the very teachings that Athanasius renounced and defended against, that Jesus is not fully God. He's kind of a demigod. He's, he's God-light, God Jr., we would know from the scripture, but also from historical knowledge that the church has consistently denied that teaching. And so if we are rooted in the scriptures and we are rooted in the witness of how the church has handled the scriptures, when we would hear that teaching, we would go, ah, that's, that's not the grace that we need. A, a Jesus who is not fully God is a Jesus who cannot save. Another false teaching that is going around, I, I would call it, uh, it's called uh, Black Hebrew Israelites. And, and they are claiming that Christianity or Christianity as we know it is the white man's religion. Therefore, it should be rejected. 
that we need a more Afrocentric understanding of the scriptures. What this reveals is a lack of knowledge about history. The Christianity that has been practiced for almost 2,000 years is a Christianity that was defended by a dark-skinned black man named Athanasius. The church was spreading rapidly in Africa well before it caught on very well in England. Our faith does not belong to any one religion, but for the sake of history, it belonged first in Africa before it got all the way to Western Europe for the sake of facts. What that means is that one is not better than the other, but it, what it definitely means is that our faith is not a construct to subjugate black people. From the days that the gospel hit Africa, they have seen it as a means of liberation and freedom. Another false teaching that might not get named very well is what I would call white nationalism. It is this belief about the vast superiority of American culture and the normalization of whiteness as either normal or better. This idea that God has ordained white people to control what happens, this too is false. From the beginning in Acts 2, we see that God poured out the Spirit on every ethnicity. And he continues to pour out the Spirit on every ethnicity. And a Christian's citizenship is not primarily in their country. But my scriptures, the scriptures that I understand, teach that our citizenship is in heaven. There is no room for any type of nationalism because the nation that we represent is the kingdom of heaven. What I want to get to is this, is that the historic global church is now and has been multi-ethnic and multicultural. It has been and already is, beloved. You need to understand there are more Christians today worshiping in Africa than in Europe. There are, the, the numbers are hard to go about because the church is underground, but there are estimates that there are more Christians in China than in America. Our, the, the, the faith is already global. It is already multi-ethnic. The Church of England, the, the church that was started in England, do you know that the biggest communion of the Church of England is the church in Nigeria? The leader of the biggest Anglican communion of churches is a Nigerian man. The church is already global. The church is already multi-ethnic. And what that means is that we would seek to live this out locally. If the church is Jesus defeating the powers that would separate cultures and ethnicities, and it's not a question of if, he has done that, then we would seek to live that out 
and our little local expression of the church. That as, a, that as citizens of chiefly the, the, the kingdom of heaven, that our church would be a, a little bit of an outpost of heaven, that it would be a representation of heaven. And, and heaven, as you know, is going to be filled with all kinds of different people, with people in this life who have been black and white and Asian and, and all other colors, with, with people who have had min, much money and people who have had very little money. It is going to be filled with all types of, of diversity. And if we are going to reflect that now, then our church would pursue to be multi-ethnic and multicultural right now. I would say that, that when faced with the racial tensions as we have been faced with today in our country, we must turn to the scriptures and to leaders that have gone before us, as the scriptures teach us to do. And so as this nation is facing riots and we're seeking to understand what is happening, understand that this is not new, that riots are not uh, exemplified by one culture or color either. But as Martin Luther King says that, a riot is the language of the unheard. Now, if you listen to him in his context, he is advocating that Christians would seek holiness and peace, but he also is advocating that Christians would have compassion and understanding because we understand that sin is multifaceted, that I get sinned against and I sin, and my act of sin does not uh, invalidate the sins that have been committed against me. We must seek the planting of local churches that would proclaim the goodness of God and empower local leaders. That is the goal of our church. Beloved, I want to see people, diverse people from Welcome, from West Greenville, be equipped to proclaim the gospel and to be leaders here. Because I believe that is what Jesus wants, I am willing to endure suffering and hardship because of it, because the scriptures teach it and our examples teach it. I want to leave you with this. Jesus is still the head of his multi-ethnic global church. Ephesians 2, it talks about how when Jesus died on that cross, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, any other race for that matter, has been destroyed. That Jesus didn't stay dead. He is seated in heaven, and he is the head of the church. He is guiding the church. He is unifying the church. He is purifying the church. And because he is at the head of it, I can endure because I know that he will accomplish what he set out to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please have mercy. Help us to be students of the scriptures and to submit to you through the scriptures. Help us to be people who value context, whether it's the context of the scriptures or the context of history. And Lord, would you give us grace to be an embassy of heaven right here in Greenville. In Jesus' name, amen.